0: Well, good evening. My name is Malcolm Duncan. I have the privilege of leading the church here at Dundonald. Thanks for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. And if you're joining online tonight or at some other point in the future, thank you too for taking the time uh, to listen and join us on this broadcast. I, I don't take it for granted, I don't take you being here for granted. I know lives are busy and uh, there are many other things that you could be doing with your time. So thank you for coming. This evening, And a particular welcome to those of you that have been exploring faith through the Alpha Course. It's great to have you. Um, I I hope you haven't been too frightened by church. Uh, Maybe a few presuppositions uh, challenged. But we are simply ordinary people who believe in and love an extraordinary God. And we are grateful that you are here this evening. The Ulster writer, perhaps one of the greatest writers in the English language ever, Clive Stapleton Lewis who came from not very far from here, once wrote these words. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If you've ever walked in the moonlight on the county down coast and wondered, where did this all come from? If you've ever walked across the Queens Bridge or the Albert Bridge on a clear morning into Belfast on the way to work and saw the lagging like a glass of ice and the morning sun bouncing off it and wondered, is there more to life? If you've ever stood in Ballantoy Harbour or on the Giant's Causeway, or walked to Scrabo Tar and looked across Strangford Loch and wondered, could there be a God? you've ever held the hand of a newborn baby or kissed the face or the cheek or the hand of a mother or a father or a partner that you've lost and wondered where they are or where they came from, then tonight, I want to suggest to you that that's not just inquisitiveness. It's not just human nature or curiosity or intelligence, or anything else like it. Rather, I suggest to you that it is something deep within your soul that is looking for the reason for your existence, the missing piece of the jigsaw, the answer to the fundamental question, why am I here? I suggest to you that God, the creator of the universe, the one who made you, knows you, and loves you, has placed that longing in your heart, because he wants you to find him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to love him, to serve him, and to walk with him and to become friends with him and to be completed by him. The famous very early church leader, St. Augustine of Hippo, after a turbulent upbringing, came to faith in Jesus Christ and wrote a series of um, letters and reflections called his confessions. Let me read us an excerpt of one of them to you for a moment. Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we people, we who are a due part of your creation, long to give you praise. We also carry our mortality about with us. We carry the evidence of our sin and with it the proof that you thwart the pride. You arise us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our heart is unquiet until it rests in you. So grant to me to know and to understand, Lord, which comes first, to call upon you or to praise you, to know you or to call upon you, must we know you before we can call upon you? Anyone who invokes what is still unknown may be making a mistake. Or should we be invoked first so that we may then come to know you? But how can people call upon someone in whom they do not yet believe? And how can they believe without a preacher? So tonight, I'm starting a little series that will take us through until the 7th of April. April trying to answer this fundamental question what is god like who is he who is it who is this force is it possible to know god in any way and if it is then what is god like and over a series of sunday evenings i will look at we will look at questions like is god good if he's good why do bad things happen is god in charge If God is in charge, then why doesn't he always get his way? Or does he always get his way? Is God white? Is God a Protestant? And is God a man? Should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. But tonight, I want to begin by asking this question. How can we know God? For those of you that have come from the Alpha course or those of you that are exploring faith or even those of you that are Christians, how can we know God? When, when the worship groups stand up and sing, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, my God, that is who you are. How do they know? With what assurance? With what sense of conviction? Where do they get that from? I want to explore with you this evening how we can know God. And I guess I want to start by suggesting to you that I understand the folly of the question. If you're saying, actually that is, it's ridiculous to suggest that a person who lives in time and space confined by one season of life can know the eternal one, can know whoever made us or whatever made us. That sounds like a ridiculous suggestion. It is a ridiculous suggestion. And the Christian scriptures, the Bible suggests that on our own, it is a ridiculous thing to try and do. Depending on what God you are searching for, it is a ridiculous question. You say, you could say to me this evening, I don't believe in God, or I don't think God can be found. Well, what God do you not believe in? Because by telling me you don't believe in God, you've already defined a God of some description. And you might be surprised, I might not believe in that God either. The church might not believe in the God that you don't believe in. The scriptures might not talk about the God that you say you don't believe in. It's more than possible that you have um, a good and honest question in that saying, well, I, I just don't know how to find God. The Bible makes the same point. You might be surprised to know that the scriptures that Christians have used and the Old Testament that Jews have used for thousands of years state clearly that it is impossible to know God in our own strength. Let me read some of God's inspired and infallible words to you so that you can get a sense of what I mean. A man called Paul, uh, from a Jewish background, who became a follower of Jesus Christ and one of the greatest thinkers and philosophers the world has ever seen, up there with Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and Kant and Hegel and all the rest of them, wrote a letter that is in the Christian Bible to um, a group of believers in Rome, where he set out what he believed about God and who he was and what he said and what his character was like. And he says this in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Listen to the words carefully. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known? The mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. In other words, how could you possibly claim to know God? He is way beyond our understanding, way beyond our comprehension on our own strength. He said something similar when he wrote a letter to the believers in Jesus Christ in the city of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, another part of the Christian Bible. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit as he talked about um, life and faith and trust and who God was. Listen carefully. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within. So also, no one comprehends what is truly God's except God's spirit. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit for their foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are discerned spiritually. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." An Old Testament prophet, a man called Isaiah, who lived in a royal palace in Jerusalem around 750 BC, about um, at a turbulent time politically and socially in the history of Israel. When asked about who God was and what his plans were and how he moved, he was touched by God himself. And here's what he says, five verses from Isaiah chapter 40. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with him? An idol? A workman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. As a gift, one chooses mulberry wood, wood that will not rot, then seeks out a skilled artisan to set up an image that will not topple. Have you known? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. In other words, how could an idol, how could something man-made, a man-made idea, a man-made thought, a man-made philosophy, a man-made worldview, a man-made religion, a man-made worship style, how could any of that reveal God? And the answer is it can't. It can't. Intellect, strength, intelligence, wisdom. The greatest minds in the world will still be left scratching their heads as they think about whether or not there is a God. strikes me as interesting that the great um, writer Christopher Hitchens, uh, an avid atheist who wrote a book called God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything, died absolutely refusing to believe in God. His brother, an equally brilliant mind and physicist, Peter Hitchens, examined the same evidence and became a Christian. He abandoned his atheist ways and became a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the world's greatest quantum physicists alive now, a man called Mishu Kaku, who works in New York University published a paper three weeks ago in which he said, after years of study and years of reflection, I have come to the conclusion that there may well be a creator. Quantum physics and the world of physics and science, I am really interested in it. I don't understand very much of it. I watch Brian Cox on the TV and think, I think he he used to play some kind of instrument in a pop band, but now I do not understand him, but I love listening to him. Love, I love, and quantum physics. Quantum physics has got as far back as what it would describe as the big bang. Do you know what the the big fundamental question that they're now asking? What happened just before it? It's going to occupy. I listened to an article on Radio 4 just 10 days ago. I love Radio 4. (laughs) That tells you something about me, doesn't it? I listened to this brilliant article in Radio 4 and somebody said to a physicist there, "Um, so having got to this point, how long do you think it'll take you before you crack that nut? And the woman laughed and said, I don't think we ever will. But we're really interested in what happened just before the big bang. I guess it's a fundamental question. I guess it's an important question. But in the end, all of our strength, all of our intelligence, all of our reflection, all of our ideas will not reveal God to us. But here's my question, ladies and gentlemen, online and here and brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Jesus, what if God has opened the way for you to know him? What if this is not about you finding a way to him, but him having found a way to you? At the heart of Christian and Jewish understanding of who God is, is this one simple word, revelation. It is the belief that God has chosen to reveal what he is like to those who will listen. That he has brought us into a story that he has come closer to us than we could ever imagine and that he's made a way possible for you to know him. You see, as logical and as sensible as it is to say but how could a, a puny Malcolm Duncan, an ordinary mortal, know the creator of the universe? That's a really valid question. But to be philosophically um, fair, to be consistent in your thinking, if one accepts that the creator of the universe has decided that he wants to reveal himself to Malcolm Duncan, then what can stop it? You can't have one half of a sensible argument without being willing to explore the second half, surely. Surely. And what if God has already made the decision that he wants to reveal who he is? At the heart of what Christians believe about how we can know God is this idea, revelation. And it's the difference between relying on our own strength and our own resources and our own ideas and our own ability to think and relying on what God has said. Looking at what God has shown, following where God leads and allowing him to reveal himself to us. As an aside, it's also the difference between the worst forms of religion and spirituality. I don't know if any of you ever listened to a programme on Radio Four called The Moral Maze. I have appeared on it on a number of occasions and on one particular occasion, not well, a number of years ago now, I appeared on it with the, the famous new atheist, Richard Dawkins. And we were having a conversation, well, we weren't having a conversation, that would be polite. He was shouting at me about the fact that he didn't believe in God and I did. And he kept confusing alongside a lady called Polly Toynbee from The Guardian. He kept confusing the idea of spirituality and religion. Every time I talked about the possibility of knowing who God was, he said, religion doesn't point us to God. I said, I didn't talk about religion. You did. You talked about spirituality. Spirituality and religion are not the same thing, Richard. Yes, they are. No, they're not. He's a brilliant, brilliant thinker, a brilliant botanical um, scientist, but he's not a strong philosopher. The difference between religion in its worst form and Christian spirituality is religion builds, tries to build connections to God, whereas Christian spirituality acknowledges that God has built bridges to us. Religion is what is left when God has walked away very often. I consider myself religious. It's not a negative phrase for me. But many aspects of religion put people off, leave them scratching their heads or wondering, why am I repeating these words that I have been told I have to learn? Why do I have to come to this service in this way? Why am I not allowed to ask questions? Why am I not allowed to use my intellect and my creativity and my intelligence and my thinking and reflecting? Why does my creativity have to be parked at the door? Why am I not allowed to use my imagination? But what if you are allowed to use all those things within Christian faith? And that actually God wants to reveal himself to you. You see, when you read the Christian and the Jewish Bible, you will discover that there are many times that God says just that. In about 606 BC, a man called Jeremiah was watching as Israel was being taken over politically by a group of people from the area that we now call Iraq and Iran, the Babylonians. And as they were being taken into captivity, and here is what God said to them through Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. Listen carefully. Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by those who are looking for me. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul, writing to a young pastor called Timothy in a city called Ephesus in modern day Turkey, said this about the people around Timothy and his generation in chapter 3, verse 7 of the second letter to Timothy, he said, They are ever searching, but they're never coming to a knowledge of the truth. You can keep searching, but what if God wants to reveal himself to you and he has given specific roots for knowing him? Of course, that searching needs to be acknowledged as a lifelong journey. And I take great hope in that and comfort. I have been a Christian 33 years this year, amazing. In fact, what dates today? 33 years a month ago today, whatever that means. 33 years and one month I have been a Christian. That's what I'm trying to say. Thanks for saying happy birthday, you missed it. <laughs> and I understand God less than I've ever understood him. I know him, I know less about him than I did when I started this journey. And I couldn't be happier. Couldn't be more delighted than that. Because when I started out in my Christian journey, I think within two or three years, I just assumed that I knew everything. (laughs) And when somebody asked me a question, I had to find an answer. And I always had to have all this stuff worked out in my head. 33 years down the the road with a little bald patch emerging on the back of my head and nice gray bits that I'm supposed to look distinguished with. I'm not entirely convinced. I've come to the place where I realise I don't need to know very much about God. But what I do know has given me such hope, such comfort, such joy, such purpose, such meaning, such peace, such, such a sense of being alive. I get up every morning of my life and I think I am a blessed man. I have so much for which to be thankful. And I look forward to every day because every day I can take a, a step closer to knowing what God is like, becoming more like him, thinking about him, The Apostle Paul says that that is how all Christians should think. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Now we know, even as um, we see through a glass darkly, we don't really know very much about God, in other words. But one day, we shall know even as we are known. An old man called John, writing to a group of Christians just before he died, said, Dearly beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. Anyone who has this hope in them purifies themselves. Do you know what I love about Christian faith? It's the most spiritually vibrant way to live. In a world where people would rather go to twilight or read about vampires and, and, and werewolves and the waking dead and, and, and zombies and we'd read everything and anything about spirituality, the most spiritually vibrant community on earth is the church. God wants to reveal something to us. He wants to take us on a lifelong journey. So if I ask you to consider whether God could reveal himself to you tonight, I'm not suggesting to you for one minute that he says, and that's that and I'll see you in heaven. I'm suggesting that you embark on a journey which is the most exciting journey imaginable. A journey that takes you to places that you never thought possible. One of the things that separates Christianity off from Islam is Islam's holy book, the Quran, has a list of rules that if you learn them and obey them, you will go to paradise. Christianity is not like that. We have a book that tells us a story about what God is actually like and who he is and what he's doing in the world. And he invites us into that story with our imaginations and our thinking and our reflexes and all of our capabilities. He invites us to wrestle with the Bible, to think through issues, to have to reach conclusions, to work it out in community and always to be growing and always to be getting further and further into it. It's the most intellectually stimulating community I could ever be part of. It's the most vibrant and alive thing to be a follower of Jesus. The famous German theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book called God is in the Manger, Reflections on Advent and Christmas said this, while it is good that we seek to know God, it is probably not so good to presume that we will ever complete the task. So if God has chosen to communicate with us, how does he do it? The American pastor, A.W. Tozer, in a book called The Pursuit of God, The Human Thirst for the Divine, says this, in making himself known to us, God stays by the familiar pattern of personality. He communicates with us through the avenues of our minds, our wills, and our emotions. He wants to use all that we are in order to help us grow in understanding who he is. And I want to suggest to you very briefly, and don't panic, it is very brief, that there are 213 ways. No, only kidding, (laughs) only kidding. There are seven simple ways. There are many more, but the seven that I want to highlight, seven ways in which God can reveal himself to us. The first is nature. Hence my questions at the beginning of this message, walking along the county down coast, standing at Scrabbo Tar, being in Ballantoy Harbor or up at the Giant's Causeway, which is clearly nicer than the county down coast, but uh, you can take that up with me later. Oh, there was a rumble of discontent. The Bible tells us that in nature, God has revealed himself in a general way and that it is possible to discover who he is through looking at the beauty of creation. The colours in a dawn. <laughs> he reveals himself through creativity and music. <laughs> Even through Nokia. <laughs> he reveals himself through nature. The psalmist in Psalm it says, "When I look at the heavens." when I look at the world, when I look at everything around me, I am amazed and I scratch my head and wonder. See, a man, Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says this in chapter one of his letter. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness for those of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power And divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal thing, a mortal human being or birds or Four-footed animals or reptiles. Nature itself points us to a creator, a force, a God that made it all. So actually, if you have ever asked one of those questions when you've looked at a baby or held the hand of somebody that was dying or walked on a mountain or any of the other things that I have suggested, then my my proposal to you is that was God. Generating that question in your soul, raising something in your heart, saying, Probe a little further. Don't be lazy in your thinking. Follow the pathway of what I'm saying to you because I want to reveal myself to you. And you are seeing something of the fingers of my handiwork in the world around you. I well remember the first time I drove around the Ring of Kerry and as I got to Dingle and turned on the Western coast of Ireland to come back towards um, uh, the, 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 the bulk of, is it County Kerry or Mayo? I can't, County Kerry, I think. As I came to come back, I looked out, I turned right, our four children had fallen asleep in the car because they weren't excited about the possibility of driving for three hours. And I looked out with my wife across the Atlantic as the sun filtered down through clouds like a patchwork quilt. And it bounced off the foam in the sea And the islands were like jewels of sapphires and rubies and diamonds in the western, uh, in the eastern Atlantic on the west of Ireland. And I had to pull the car over. And I stopped and I said to Debbie, look at this. And we both cried. It was a moment, not of worshiping the creation, but worshiping the creator. I stood in Cardloch Bay and looked up at the moonlight and watched as the moon lets his slender fingers come down upon the bay and reach out across it, flickering and bouncing like pearls that have been dropped out of a beautiful woman's hand. And they, 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 they spring across the loch into our front window in the house that we have in Cardloch. And I think, how could you not see this? It creates something deep within you as a question about who you are and where you're from. That's not reserved to Christians. That's a human gift. Secondly, in our intimate desire to worship, in our innate searching, that longing in our hearts is because there's something that can satisfy it. There's someone who has placed it there in the words of Augustine. That's why those questions around creation cause something to rise in our hearts. It's why you ask more questions about things like this when you become a, a parent or you lose a loved one. But be careful, because you will become like the thing you worship. And you might say to me, "I don't ask those questions. Everybody does. If you're a rationalist, then you end up worshiping your intellect. If you're a materialist, you end up worshiping the stuff that you've got. If you're a hedonist, you end up worshiping pleasure. If you're an individualist, you end up worshiping yourself. If you're an atheist, you say you don't worship anything else. So you worship the assurance, the the certainty that you have that there is nothing else. We become like what we worship. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul talks to a group of people in Rome, in Athens, searching for God. And he goes to a mount, a hill in that great city, which is still there. And on it, there is a monument. And it says on the monument, a monument to the unknown God. And Paul turns and says, let me tell you who this unknown God is. You see that thing you've been searching for all your life? that sense of significance and value and worth and meaning, I can tell you what it is because I know who it is. The Bible makes the claim that that yearning inside of you is from God himself. In 2 Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament, the people of Israel have abandoned their worship of God and they've built wooden idols and golden idols and metal idols and idols of wood and hay and straw and they're all useless They're dumb bits of wood that don't speak. They're bits of metal that are only worth what it would be worth to boil them down and melt them down and sell them for scrap. And here's what God says about them. The people of Israel worshipped useless idols. And as a result, they themselves became useless. On your deathbed, friend, you are not going to say, I wish I'd spent more time at work. And you will not say, I wish I had more money in the bank. The questions that you answer, the decisions that you make tonight and in the weeks that lie ahead, determine your destiny. God has placed that desire to find meaning and significance in us because he is the only one that can fill it. The famous Times columnist Bernard Letwin once said, there is a hole in your heart And no matter how much money, sex, television, power, or drugs you pour into it, it cannot be satisfied other than through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, I think we can discover God or discover something about him in our conscious and in our ability to think about life and its meaning. The earliest human bits of creativity and art are supposedly um, paintings that were done on the uh, south Coast of France down in the, in the in the uh, the Dardanelles down no not the Dardanelles the um what is the name it doesn't matter the name of the mountains between France and Spain somebody will know what they are called I can't remember does somebody know Pyrenees thank you very much it's not only a cat or a dog it's also a mountain range <laughs> there are early there are early paintings in the caves there and uh, anthropologists. Ask what it is that is painted because when you see what's painted, it's animals that they would never have seen anywhere. And yet there's something about imagination. There's something about the human spirit. It's a gift from God that we are able to think beyond ourselves. We're able to explore meaning and life and purpose beyond ourselves. I want to suggest to you that that in and of itself is a gift from God so that you might search for him. Who taught me when I was little the difference between right and wrong? Nobody. Who taught me when I was growing up to think about life and its meaning? I can remember as a six-year-old and a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old having profound questions about who I was and why I was on planet Earth that my mom and my dad and my brothers and my sister and my t- nobody could answer. But they hadn't taught me to ask the questions. Who put the question in my heart? Why is it that seven-year-olds innately ask questions about who they are and the difference between right and wrong and life and death and all of those things? Where does it come from? And why is it a universal thing? Not just something that happens in Northern Ireland or in the United Kingdom or in Europe. It happens all over the world. How can a world that has so many cultures and so many different trends and ideas end up with people asking similar questions? Maybe it's because God placed the questions there in the first place. Fourthly, our moral sense, our sense of ethical obligation. Now, you might say to me that morals are different in different contexts and different communities. And in a sense, secondary morals are. But I would want to suggest to you that primary morals aren't. There's a wonderful story about C.S. Lewis. I told you about him earlier on. Um, He was an Oxford Don. He came from East Belfast and Hollywood. And um, He became a Christian, he described himself as the most reluctant convert in England when he became a Christian. And he was trying to reach for Jesus, a a young student of his. And the young student said, no, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus that you're talking about because there is no definite sense of right and wrong. What's right to me is right to me and what's wrong to me is wrong to me. And what's right to you is right to you and what's wrong to you is wrong to you. And C.S. Lewis said, nonsense. He said, it's not nonsense, it's the truth. And Lewis said, okay, fine do you want a cup of tea? And the student said, what? He said, you want a cup of tea? He said, yes, please. So C.S. Lewis went in, boiled the kettle, came out and held it above his head and said, I think I'll just pour this water over you. And the student said, you can't do that. He said, why not? He said, it's wrong. I said, he's, and C.S. Lewis said, only if you think it's wrong. <laughs> if I don't think it's wrong, what's wrong with me pouring a kettle of boiling water over your head? And the guy said, you'll hurt me. And Lewis said, but if it's up to me to decide what's right and what's wrong, what difference does it make? If I am the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong, then I can determine whether pouring boiling water over your head is a good thing or a bad thing. And the student said, no, you can't. Because there is a moral framework. There is a profound sense of right and wrong. It's why you wouldn't give up your child to prostitution unless there was something wrong with you. It's why you wouldn't sell another person into human slavery, unless there was something wrong with you. It's why deep within your heart, you know that there's a right and that there's a wrong. And I do too. And that presence itself is evidence of a divine blueprint. A French theologian called Jean Calvin or Couvin, we call him Jean Calvin in English, in the 14th and 15th century, said every single person in the world is made in the image of God. You are, I am, all of us are. We carry this divine blueprint from God. But what happens is somehow in our lives, it is broken and flawed and cracked like a mirror that has been cracked when it fell off a wall. But when the mirror is put back up on the wall and we come to faith in Christ, we see the cracks and we see images of ourselves and try to work out who we are and our lives are spent with God fixing the cracks so that as we come to the end of our life as Christians, we can look and say, I can see now who I was. I can see that God was at work in me. Do you know, if you look hard enough, you'll see the divine presence in every human being. Fifthly, we discover God in community. And the sense of being together. Don't let anybody tell you you can go off and discover God on your own. The God of the Jews and the Christians is not like that. He comes to us in community. He comes to us through one another. We discover things about him in one another that make us realize that we need one another because none of us were born to be alone. That's why church is so important to me. Sixthly, And perhaps many people miss this. You will discover God in suffering. It's the only thing that will make sense of it. Staring into mortality, staring into the darkest pits of life, you can discover hope. You can discover mercy. You can discover strength. You can discover beauty in ways that you never ever can find it anywhere else. A man called Job, some people call him Job, but then panicked, (laughs) went through the ultimate forms of suffering. He lost everything. And in the 42 chapter book about him in the Old Testament, he starts saying he knows everything about God and he ends saying, as a result of my suffering, what I thought I knew, I no longer know, but I have seen you. I've experienced God in the midst of darkness and sorrow and pain. You can too. Lastly, most importantly, above everything else, we discover God in Jesus Christ. This man who lived 2,000 years ago, who you've been exploring in the Alpha course if you've been coming to that course, didn't give you the option of calling him an ethical example. He didn't say he was just a good moralizer or teacher. This man claimed to be God in human flesh. He claimed to represent to the world what God was like. When people asked him, show us the way to God, a man called Philip, a man called Philip said to him, show us the way to God and Thomas and others in the, a passage of the Bible recorded in John 14. Show us the way to God. Show us the way to the Father, one of the Jewish names for God. And Jesus said, I am that way. And I am that truth and I am that life. There couldn't be a more categoric answer. Jesus said to those that followed him, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. If you want to know how he treats people, it's how I treat them. If you want to know what he would say, listen to my words. If you want to see what his priorities are, look at mine. No one else claimed that. In any other world religion or tradition, they claim to be representatives of God, but not God. Not God that has come into time and into history. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus says in John chapter 14 verse 9. The New Testament is full of Christians trying to work this out. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul, writing to a small church, listen to these words, says this about Jesus. The fullness of God dwells in him in bodily form. And we are complete in him. Christians believe that Jesus brings God to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Whoever wrote that book says this. God in previous times spoke through the prophets unto the fathers. But he has in these last days spoken to us through a son, through whom he made the worlds, in whom all things exist. What a lofty claim for Christians that God reveals himself to us in Jesus, but we believe it. We believe that there are no questions that Jesus can't answer, that there's no aspect of God that he does not reveal to us, that he shows us everything we need in order to understand the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God. And what does he show us? That God will pick us up when we fall, that he will forgive our sin, that he will die for us, that he will come to life again for us, that he will suffer for us, that he will walk with us, that he will empower us. His son does all that so that we know how much God loves us. You might have come to the Alpha Course or here tonight or watching online thinking to yourself, God doesn't want me. God isn't interested in me. I'm looking for him, but he's not looking for me. I'm not good enough. I haven't done the right things. I haven't been to church enough. I haven't got all the right questions answered. Listen to this. Jesus' words, John chapter six, verse 37. Those who come to me, I will in no way reject. If you are looking for God, And you hear me saying, Jesus Christ has brought him to you. And you come to Jesus and say, show me God. He will say yes. He will never say no. Those who come to me, I will in no way cast out. Jesus said to those that followed him in Matthew chapter 11, if you are weary and burned out on religion, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He promises rest to those that are weary, hope to those that are in despair, strength to those that feel weak, acceptance to those that feel rejected, love to those that have never been loved, purpose to those that are lost and aimless and trying to work things out, meaning and significance to those that think they don't matter. And it is all predicated upon repenting, turning to him and asking him to accept you and he will accept you. There is no one like him. 33 years ago, I made the decision to follow him. And my goodness, what a decision it was. All of this is possible to me because of the Bible. No other book is inspired in the way the Bible is inspired. This is the story above all stories. In Melvin Bragg's book about the King James Version of the Bible... For the 400th anniversary of it in 2007, he called it the Book of Books. That's why Christians are so passionate about the Bible, because in it we read of Jesus, in it we read of our sin, in it we read of history, in it we read of life and meaning and purpose. It stands above every other book. If you read it, you will discover Christ in it. If you read it with eyes of faith, you will discover a God that loves you and cares for you and wants to bring you into relationship with Himself. In the end. Can God be known? Yes. How do you know? Because I've met him. Because he has reached into my heart and transformed my life. Because he has forgiven my sin and accepted me. And he's taken someone who was arrogant and self sufficient and didn't need anybody and shown him something of the mystery of what it is to be alive. Because he's forgiven me. But what good is all of that for you? Me knowing God doesn't mean you know him. Me being excited about him doesn't mean you are. John Piper, in his book Desiring God, writes this. But to enjoy him, we must know him. Seeing is savoring If God remains a blurry, vague fog, we can be intrigued for a season, but we will not be stunned with joy. Because when the fog clears and you find yourself on the brink of some vast precipice, an idea will not rescue you, but a person will. This God, visible and knowable through Jesus Christ, forgives sin, accepts the broken, welcomes the searching, And reaches out his hand to all who will receive him. I pray you will tonight. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. I'm grateful to you for coming, for watching online. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what I've said. Over these last weeks here in our church family, we've seen people become followers of Jesus every week. It's been the most exciting thing. It's wonderful. And online or here in the room tonight, I want to give you that opportunity too. So I have two simple questions for you. If you respond to them online, could you please reply by just sending an email to my colleague, um, Pip Kerr. His email is pip at If you're responding to either of these questions, let him know. Here in the room, in a moment or two, I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand. No one else is looking, just me. I'm not trying to make a spectacle of you. I just want to help you. And this is a significant moment that could change the direction of your life. I pray it does. There's a seriousness in the air. Do you want to know God? Then I invite you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To stop talking about Him and start talking to Him. To give Him your brokenness, your shame, your longing, your mistakes, your frailty, your questions. To give Him it all. And say, would you reveal more of who you are to me? If you ask him to do that tonight and are willing to lay your life at his feet, he will meet you and you will change. He will not reject anyone who comes to him. So here are my two questions. The first question is to those of you who have been at one point or another followers of Jesus Christ and you have walked away Christians let you down, the church let you down, circumstances got the better of you. But tonight, you want to know him again. If you would like to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, no one is looking, only me. And I'll pray for you in a moment. Just put your hand up and take it down, please. Thank you. Anyone else? Don't be afraid. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Who else wants to take that step, please? What a wonderful thing it is to be here tonight. Don't run away from him. Run to him. My second question. Is there anybody here who would like to begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ tonight? You'd like to start your Christian journey. You don't have to have all the answers. But you want to know God. You want to get to know Jesus. You want to give him your life. You want to walk with him. If you'd like to become a Christian tonight, put your hand up, please. No one is looking. I will see it and I will pray for you. I know this is hard. Don't be anxious. God is waiting. With hands outstretched to you. You can know him. You can call him friend. Who would like to become a Christian? I don't normally linger in these moments, but I think I need to tonight, just for a moment. He loves you. Lord, may you move in power in lives and hearts. I believe you've spoken tonight. And that there are men and women here who want to know you. Watching online that want to know you. Give them the grace to say yes to you. Give them the courage to receive your love and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name. Amen.